they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, May the 28th. May is almost over. June is coming up very rapidly. Thank you for joining us. Um, thank you for all your prayers and sacrifices. Thank you for all your financial support. Welcome to all our listeners. Terry will be joining me shortly. Um, he'll be back in the studio in just a few moments. He's taking a quick break between shows. He just did the Terry and Jesse show. So um, we're going to look at today's gospel, the gospel of Mark. And anybody who might have been listening to the Terry and Jesse show, we promised you we'd try and give you a good commentary here and explain all the connections that uh, this gospel is so, they're so full of, it's just beautiful. It's just, God is so good. He gives us so much. So we'll read the gospel, today's gospel, and then we'll go ahead and try and make all these connections, explain to you the context in which this is happening. It's Mark 11, 11, 26. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. He looked around at everything and since it was already late, went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing from a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went out to see if he could find anything on it. When he reached it and found nothing on it but leaves, it was not time for figs. And he said to it in reply, May no one ever eat your fruit again. And his disciples heard it. They came to Jerusalem, and on entering the temple area, he began to drive out those who were selling and buying there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. He did not permit anyone to carry anything through the temple area. Then he taught them, saying, Is it not written, My house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of thieves." The chief priests and the scribes came to hear of it and were seeking a way to put him to death. Yet they feared him because the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. Early in the morning, as they were walking along, they saw the fig tree withered to its roots. Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Jesus said to them in reply, have faith in God. Amen, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it shall be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, all that you ask for in prayer, believe that you will receive and it shall be yours. When you stand to pray, forgive anyone against whom you have a grievance so that your heavenly father may in turn forgive you your transgressions the gospel of the lord praise to you lord jesus christ well there he is i am i can't be in that other studio it's too cold for me i'm brutal <laughs> hey mary i noticed you've got your veil on and you just came from the blessed sacrament did you not i did i yeah. did and, and, and mary before you do that gospel just a quick note people always ask what's the story about veiling women why is it important in for a lot of women are starting to bring this practice back about you know and i love what dr alice von hildebrand has said and others but i want to hear from a woman's perspective why do you wear a veil and that was something that attracted me when i 
met you when you were not my wife, but uh, can you give a little biblical view of why women should cover their heads? Well, it's interesting because Paul writes in one of his letters that women should cover their heads when they're um, in because of the angels. Mm. And um, there's a, there's a sign of humility there, and he, he talks about marriage also in in marriage that you know a household doesn't have two heads. You have the the husband is the head of the household, and the wife is the heart. But th- there's a great mystery there in that things are veiled in the Old Testament. The um, the holy of holies is veiled, and that sacred things are veiled. And Dr. Alice von Hildebrand talks yeah. about the reality that women are bearers of the mystery of life. And this is very sacred because Amen. life comes from God. And the mystery of how man and woman can um, cooperate in God's plan to be co-creators with him mm-hmm. in bearing of children. Right. Now, we can't make a child, and a child is not ours. Only God can infuse an immortal soul right. into a human being to, to bring about the life that is necessary to make that child live but we cooperate with God. We reach out and touch, as it were, in the conjugal embrace, the hand of God. And if God is, God is willing and desires, he will, he will bless the, the actions of husband and wife in the conjugal act with fruitfulness. And it's, not, it's a gift. Every child is a gift. But, but women bear that mystery within themselves. And it is, you know, nowadays we think, oh, we know how everything happens. We know all about it. And it's like, no, actually we don't. There's still, it's a great mystery. Mm. Because as it said, as someone once said, you're, you're literally one in a million, you know. How many sperm does it take to fertilize? It only takes one sperm to fertilize the egg. But at the same time, how many sperm are there that are released? And only one penetrates to fertilize the egg. Right. The great mystery of, of you know, you, it's just a great mystery. So you, out of reverence for God, out of humility, um, just acknowledging that everything depends on God and we bear within ourselves this great mystery and we have reverence for ourselves. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, I believe St. Paul said that um, a woman's hair is her crown of glory. Mm-hmm. So she should cover it so she's not a distraction right. to those around her. And again, because we're not in church to draw attention to ourselves. Right. We're there to worship God. So we cover what is distracting to others. Yeah. We veil ourselves, and not just our heads. We veil our bodies because they are sacred. That's why we dress modestly. Yeah. And you know, I might add one more thought. We veil the, the tabernacle. If you look in the back of my green room in our chapel, we have a veil on our tabernacle because it's the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ in that tabernacle. And so uh, I think it's an appropriate thing, and I thank you for sharing that. Now I'll let you get back to the gospel of the day, young lady. All right. <laughs> um, and I know sometimes some people might be thinking, well, we don't see tabernacles veiled anymore. Well, the church never at Vatican II never removed that. Right. The, the chalice is still supposed to be veiled. The tabernacle is still supposed to be veiled. It's just like the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament was veiled. Mm-hmm. The tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, where God dwells, should be veiled. The chalice should be veiled. Right. Anyway, so here we go. So we have Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple area, and he looks around, and everything is late. So he goes out to Bethany. Well, he comes in, he looks around, he goes out to Bethany. Why does he go out to Bethany? It's interesting. I didn't know this. I found something out in, in um, researching this day. I found something very beautiful. Tell us. Bethany means obedience. Oh, I never knew that. 
Yes. Yeah, so he, he goes into the temple. He's looking around for someone to be obedient to the Lord. And he finds no one. Hmm. And this is a, what would you say, an allegorical interpretation of, this, you know, he finds no one. And so he goes outside the city. He goes back to Bethany, to the house of obedience, which Bethany is where Lazarus and Martha and Mary are. And it's close to Jerusalem. And it's a little hamlet outside of Jerusalem. And here he finds obedience. Here he finds humility. Here he finds welcome. Mm. But in his own city, he doesn't find welcome. He doesn't find obedience among his own people. And this is, this is a great um, key to what's happening here. You see, this is chapter 11 of the Gospel of Mark. This is 11.11. But what happened in the first 11, 10 verses of Mark? It's the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. This cleansing of the temple is taking place in what we call Holy Week. Mm-hmm. This is the last week of Jesus's life on earth. So let's set this in its context. Now the battle between God's plan and the resistance of the sinful resistance of human beings is coming to a climax. Christ is entered into Jerusalem, his final triumphant entry. He has been proclaimed the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And, and now it's the final week where every night he will go out to Bethany, the house of obedience. And every day he will return to Jerusalem and he will be instructing the people. He's trying to bring them to obedience. And so we have this context in which this is taking place. And by the way, the, the, the story of the cleansing of the, of the temple, this is kind of the heart of this passage in Mark, takes place in all four Gospels. What's interesting is John has it at the very beginning of his Gospel, mm-hmm. the very, very beginning of the public life of our Lord. The other three evangelists have it during Holy Week. And the question is, and, and you know, is it that John puts it at the beginning because he connects it with the wedding feast of Cana and it's connected to the, the, the establishment of the new covenant? And so he's redacting or or is it that as saint augustine said apparently there were two cleansings that our lord cleansed the temple in the beginning of his public life but again at the end he has to do it again you know in the beginning the first one he does it's a warning to 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 the israelites and to to repent but here by the end of the three years of his public ministry have they repented have they changed or are they still carrying on the same they're the house of God has become a marketplace. Religion has become um, a profitable way of living. <laughs> is it about the worship of God? Mm. And that ties into the fig tree, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. The next day as he comes by from Bethany in the morning, he's hungry. Well, our Lord is human. He has a human body. Yes, he's physically hungry. Maybe that's just a statement of fact. And he sees this fig tree and it's not the season for figs. And we're coming up against a break. So you'll have to hang on to find out how these two things are connected. Oh boy, I have a fig tree. I can't wait to hear it. (laughs) We'll be back with more on Bible with the Barbers. Don't hesitate to go to our website to pick up all the other podcasts of all the programs on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. 
Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, May 28th of 2021. And we're talking about the Gospel of Mark for today, the Gospel of the reading for today's Gospel. That's we're in the eighth week of ordinary time. And it's math, it's Mark 11, 11 26, which by the way, this gospel, um, this the cleansing of the temple is told in all four gospel accounts. And so um, you know, all all four of the evangelists which is very important for us to understand. So we're talking about the fig tree, and um, we've, we've, um, the Lord has, um, he's, he comes by and he sees this fig tree, and he goes up to it, it says the Lord was hungry, and he goes up to it, and there's no figs on it. But it also mentions it's not the season for figs. Well, the fig tree represents it's a traditional symbol of Israel. And you can see Jeremiah eight thirteen. In Hosea 9.10, and in Jeremiah 8.13, it talks about this. When I would gather them, says the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves are withered, and what I gave them has passed away from them. So this is the prophet, and he's talking about Israel, that when the Lord would gather them together, there were no figs on the tree. Not only were there no figs, but the leaves had withered. And so this fig tree represents this. And in Hosea um, chapter, is it 10, 10 ver, no, chapter 9, verse 10, we have, again, um, like grapes in the wilderness I found Israel, like the first fruits on the fig tree in its first season. I saw your father, fathers, but they came to Baal Peor and consecrated themselves to Baal and became desolate like the things they loved. So the Lord had warned in the prophets, I will look for fruit. You're like the fig tree, you, you, you know, Israel. So Israel is the fig tree, but they become desolate because they haven't listened to the Lord. They haven't obeyed. And, you know, this is a warning. This isn't a judgment on the Jews that, you know, oh, we can all point our fingers at the Jews and say, oh, oh. No, it's, it's for all of us to examine ourselves and say, am I faithful to the Lord? Am I responding to the graces he has given me? Am I day by day growing in the Lord? Am I trying to practice the presence of God and consciously be aware of the fact that he never forgets me, that he's always with me, that he's pouring out his grace upon me? And so this fig tree represents Israel. And so um, the Lord comes up to the fig tree and here it's all this, all this foliage, you know, which a fig tree is supposed to have mm. when it's not bearing fruit. The foliage is to protect the figs from, you know, once the figs come into bloom. And, and so that it's all there. But it's not seasoned yet. It's not the season for figs. And the Lord's looking for figs on the tree when there's no when it's out of season. It's like, whoa, well, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> it's not may not may not be um may not be immediately clear. Why would he be looking for figs when it's not in season? Well, St. John Chrysostom says that actually because of the context of this, that this is happening at a time when our Lord is approaching his passion, he's trying to show his apostles. First, he's trying to show that I have power over all creation and nothing can happen that I don't allow. Mm -hmm. And um, that he's, he wants his apostles to have faith in him. He knows they're going to be scandalized by his passion. So he curses the fig tree to show that he has not only the power, but the authority 
to punish men for their sins. But he doesn't curse men directly. He curses the fig tree as a sign. Remember, yes, God cast Satan out of heaven because he rebelled. He didn't he wasn't in heaven. He he was he hadn't seen God face to face, but he rebels against God. And so he's cast down and there is no place for him in heaven. God had made a place for him in heaven, but he doesn't get to occupy it because he rebelled. And the same will happen to anyone who rebels against God. He will cast them out. And yes, he has the authority and the power to curse us. John Vianney used to weep. He would say to his, his congregation from the pulpit, God wants to bless you. But by your sins, you force him to curse you. And this is what's happening here. God is looking for fruit in Israel. He's looking for those who will believe in him. Here is the Messiah among them. Are they going to accept him? And, and you know, already there's been resistance. And they're, you know, the crowd is fickle too. You know, sometimes they're believing him and sometimes they're not. And, well, he fed, fed us with bread, so now we want to make him king. But, you know, but then he doesn't feed us again. Eh, you know, maybe, maybe not, you know. No, we have to be faithful to the Lord in season and out of season, you know, whether it's convenient or inconvenient, Mm -hmm. whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable, whether we're suffering or whether we're being exalted. All the time we're called to fidelity, to fidelity to the Lord. And so the, the apostles had to learn that Jesus could cause those who wouldn't accept him to wither away, okay? And he curses the fig tree principally for this reason and not on account of his hunger. I mean, you know, Jesus knows it's not the season for figs. Um, Yes, it's early in the morning, but maybe he's already had breakfast at Martha and Mary's. And so it's more because he's using the fig tree as a parable. And St. Bede had wrote that um, he... He, he just as he spoke parables with his words, his deeds also are sometimes parables, you know. So he comes hungry to seek fruit on the fig tree, though he knew it was not yet time for the for the um, for the figs, and and so he condemns it to perpetual barrenness. Just as those who will not accept him, if they refuse to accept him and persevere, they will be condemned to perpetual barrenness. We're called to bear fruit. And the Lord will help us to bear that fruit Mm -hmm. if we ask him and if we're faithful. Mm -hmm. You know, in the Gospels, Jesus tells us, he shows us by his works. He says, even if you won't believe my words, believe the works that I do in my Father's name. And the same is true for us. We are supposed to not just preach the gospel with our words. We're supposed to live it and we're supposed to be bringing the truth to other people through our charity, through charitable works, through our taking care, you know, what is it? Feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, visit the imprisoned, visit the sick, shelter the homeless, welcome the stranger. Are we doing these things? And are we just allowing ourselves to be complacent and saying, well, you know, it's all right. I'm a sinner, but you know, God doesn't mind. Mary, let me jump in and ask you a question because this ties right into our culture right now. Who's influencing who in our culture? The church or the world? And it seems to me, and I'm just bringing Ronald Reagan up from when I was a young man, he said, don't look to the government for your solutions. And it seems to me that there's been a change 
for a decade or so where people are going to the government for every little thing and it seems like they're forgetting about their Christianity and buying right into secular humanism. Am I onto something? I think you're onto something. I think we've lost a biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. We forgot where we're going, that we were made to go to God. But we also forgot where we came from. We forgot the source. God is the source of our being. He made us for himself. He made us for union with ourself, with himself. He made us for union with himself. We're supposed to be in union with other, each other through charity. But we can't be in union with others if we don't have charity. And true charity is not about, oh, I, I, I will never do anything to make you feel bad. Mm. That's not what charity is. Charity is seeking the true good. That is the eternal salvation of every single person we come in contact with. So if I come in contact with someone who's living outside of God's law, I will do my best to instruct them, to help them to come to see and understand the law of God so that they can conform their lives to it. Right. It's not about looking at the culture and saying, well, you know, people don't want to have big families anymore. So we just have to tell people it's okay. God understands. I mean, we live in such a tough world. It's so hard to raise children nowadays. I mean, it costs so much. Excuse me, people, wake up. We, the world, human beings have never lived in such opulence as we live in today. They have never had the goods of the world so available to them that every household has running water, hot and cold and electricity. Now, not every household. I, you know, there are poor people who don't have Mm -hmm. the modern conveniences that, but, but for the most part in the Western world, we have more than, (laughs) yeah, it's the cell phones, even the poor, even the homeless carry around these cell phones with them. They have the means of communication and not only communication, they have the means of learning. They could find the gospel on the on the on their phone. They could be listening to the word of God preached. That's true. But but we're not here to conform to the world. We're here to bring Christ to the world and to bring the world to Christ. But are we doing that or are we just saying, you know, well, you know, I just want to go along with the world, you know, it's I'm I've got my 2. Point whatever it is kids, you know, how can you have 2.1 kid, you know, yeah, is, yeah. child, I, children. That children. that just keeps the population stable. But Mary, just a quick note, 80% of the countries in the world of the 200 countries has it below that 2.1. So we're losing a population because our world view, a biblical world view has been replaced by a secular world view that says me myself and I Right. Selfishness. Mm -hmm. That's not what Jesus came to preach. And that's not what he did. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He didn't come so that we would serve him. He came to serve us. Right. God. God came to serve us. Can we humble ourselves to serve our children and our families, to take care of the sick and the homeless and the hungry and the poor? You know, wake up. We have to wake up. And so the fig tree. Well, how does this tie into the cleansing of the temple? Why would Mark, because in Matthew, you have the the cleansing of the temple first, and then you have the cursing of the fig tree. Mm -hmm. In Mark, you have the cursing of the fig tree, and you have the cleansing of the temple after. Mm. Well, it's very possible that what Mark is showing us here, and this is inspired by the Holy Spirit, is that the two go together in a way. Just as the fig tree represents Israel, and it does represent Israel, and the Lord is cursing Israel because she fails to accept him, his people fail to accept him, he comes to the temple, and what does he find? 
Now, if Augustine was right, and John's cleansing of the temple happened in the beginning of Jesus's public ministry, right after the wedding feast of Cana, mm-hmm. then this is the second time that Jesus is having to cleanse the temple. So he already warned them, you need to take the money changers out. What's interesting is the money changers in the temple are in what's called the court of the Gentiles. Again, Israel was supposed to bring the Gentiles to God. So there was a special court that the Gentiles could come to for what purpose? To carry on commerce? No, to worship God. And what's happened is the court of the Gentiles has become the court of the money changers and those who are selling the animals for sacrifice. So we'll talk more after the break about how this ties into the fig tree. How is it that the cleansing of the temple and the court of... And the, and the fig tree cursing tie in together. And why would Mark have put the fig tree being cursed and then the cleansing of the temple? And check out vmpr.org for the men's conference coming up in June. We'll be back with more on the Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Faith. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, May 28th, 2021. Thank you for joining us on this Friday of the eighth week of Ordinary Time. Easter season has ended and we're now in Ordinary Time. But we want to understand more fully the gospel and what it means to us. So we're talking about the gospel of the day, which is Mark 11, 11 through 26. It's a rather lengthy gospel, and there's a lot in it. So we talked about the cursing of the fig tree. Now, how does that tie into the cleansing of the temple? And so the temple is being cleansed. And St. Bede had said that what the Lord had done in figure when he cursed the fig tree, he shows more openly by casting out the wicked from the temple. Okay, so he comes to Jerusalem, you know, the fig tree. Is, represents Israel, but it's all full of, full of leaves. It's not bearing any fruit. And so he comes to the temple, and here in the court of the Gentiles, they've turned it into a place of commerce. The court of the Gentiles is supposed to be a place of worship for the Gentiles. It's supposed to be a place where the Gentiles can come to worship the Lord God, the one true God, and come to know him. But instead, it's been turned into a place of commerce to make it impossible for worship to go on. And you know, if Augustine was right, as I said before, and, and it probably is, this wasn't the first time the Lord had cleansed the temple. Because in the Gospel of John, he cleanses the temple in John chapter 2, at the beginning of the public life of John, where the gospel of the cleansing of the temple is tied to the wedding feast of Cana, where the wedding feast of Cana is showing us the Lord is establishing a new covenant. And so he comes in and he cleanses the temple as a sign of the new covenant. The temple has to be cleansed. Everything old has to be cast out so that there's room for the new. And so what has to be cast out? Well, sin. It has to be cast out of us so there's room for God to come in. The, 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 the money changers, who are, by the way, they weren't being honest. They were being dishonest. But they also have taken a place of worship and turned it into a place of commerce. And, and again, we need to examine ourselves. And in our own day, are our churches places of worship? Is that how we see them? Or do we see them as multi-purpose buildings where we come to be entertained, actually, in, and often in many cases? And actually, we do carry on entertainment sometimes in our churches. But it's the proper way. You know, we have parish halls. We can have entertainment in the parish hall. 
And if you have a sacred concert in the church, it's not for entertainment purpose. The purpose of a sacred concert is to raise our minds and hearts to worship God. So here we have, and the scribes and the Pharisees, you know, they're there. They, they saw the cleansing of the temple in the beginning of, the, of, of Jesus' public life. And yet here it is, two years later, and they're still allowing the money changers to come in at Passover time and turn the court of the Gentiles into a place of commerce. And so Jesus is saying, no, this isn't right. And he's driving the people out. He's driving them out. What's interesting, a lot of people say that Jesus was angry. Okay, what's interesting is the word anger is not used in any of the four Gospels to describe this incident. There are definitely places in the Gospel where it says Jesus looked at them with anger. Okay, but it's not here. As a matter of fact, the word that's used in one of the Gospels is the apostles recalled zeal for my house, zeal for your house consumes me. Zeal for the house of the Lord. So here Jesus is zealous, zealous for what? He's zealous for the worship of God. Why? Because in worshiping God, our hearts become purified and we become drawn into the life of God. God can't draw us into his own life if we fill ourselves with sin. He can't do it. We have to empty ourselves of sin. And we don't just empty ourselves. I remember once being at a conference, uh, uh, and uh, well, it was a woman's meeting, uh, and this, these ladies at another table were talking, and I heard them, and the one lady said, well, this woman told me that you can't pray unless you just totally empty yourself. And I just find that just too hard. And I overheard him, and I said, Lord, I, I think I need to say something. So I prayed, and I went over to him, and I said, no, actually, you know, it's not Christian prayer to just empty yourself. As a more matter of fact, that's a form of, of Eastern mysticism that doesn't come from Christianity. And you don't just empty yourself, because if you just empty yourself, then you are open for any spirit to come in and, and, and um, invade you. And by the way, that means an evil spirit couldn't come in and invade you. No, as Christians, we empty ourselves of those things that are contrary to God and we ask the Lord to come in and fill us and to make room for himself in us, to expand our hearts, okay? And we don't just empty ourselves. We want to be filled with Christ. We invite Christ into our souls and into our bodies too. He purifies our bodies. Our bodies are temples of his Holy Spirit. In baptism, we receive the life of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit came to dwell in us. God made us his temple. So we are temples of God. So everything that applies here to the temple in Jerusalem, because it's a place of worship, we too are supposed to worship God who dwells in us. We're not worshiping ourselves. God himself has chosen to dwell in us. And we worship God within us, not ourselves. We worship God and God alone. And we don't worship the saints. We don't worship the Blessed Mother. No. But we ask the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph and all the saints to pray with us and the angels to pray with us and to lead us and ask the Holy Spirit to lead us to perfect prayer. And, and to the, that the angels and the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph accompany us in our prayer so that we can learn how to pray properly. So we have this. Jesus is casting these men out of the temple. It doesn't say that he's angry. Yeah, he turns over their tables. He turns over their tables and the fathers of the church said that represents the fact that he's, it's a prophetic sign that this is all going to be destroyed. Not just your money change your tables, 
but the whole temple is going to be destroyed. Someone will come in and take it so that stone upon stone, every stone will be taken down. And not a stone will be left upon a stone, but the whole thing will be brought to the ground. So that it's, it's a warning to them that if you, don't, if you don't receive me, if you don't receive, and this is it, Jesus is the Messiah. He's God. He's God made man, and he's trying to convince people to receive him because he wants to bless us. He wants to fill us with his life. He wants to draw us into his own interpersonal life. He wants to draw us into communion with himself. But we have to empty ourselves of sin. We have to renounce sin. And that's what we do in baptism. We renounce sin and we renounce Satan. And we profess our belief in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we ask God to fill us with his life and his presence. And so we look at this incident of the cleansing of the temple and know that God will forgive us. He will forgive us our sins if we ask. And he will fill us with himself. And he wants to fill us with himself. So he drives the money changers out and he turns over their tables. Yeah, and in the one gospel, he makes a whip of cord. Well, how are you going to drive the oxen and the sheep out if you don't have a whip of cords? You know, you got to drive the animals out. You know, so we can administer discipline without showing anger. And it doesn't say here that he was angry, but he was zealous for the house of the Lord. He's zealous because he wants his people to worship God because we are. Our duty bound to worship God, God first. The first three commandments are about God, right? Of the 10, the Decalogue, the first three are about God. We have to worship God. God has to be first. And then our neighbor and then ourselves. God first, my neighbor second, myself third. So he drives them out. And this is a prophetic sign of the destruction of the temple. Okay. And what's what's the lesson what's the lesson of all this well the lesson is is that we're supposed to serve the lord our god and we're supposed to believe in him and we have to have faith in him and again the fathers of the church say that jesus cursed the fig tree as a sign to his apostles that he has the power over all of creation Nothing can happen that he doesn't allow and that he has the power to punish sin. So we repent of our sins so that God can forgive us so that we don't end up with eternal punishment with Satan and his, his rebellious angels. Because in, in the account of the last judgment in the gospel, Jesus says to those on his left, out of my sight, you condemned into the everlasting fire that was prepared for Satan, for the devil, for the devil and his angels. So remember, there are good spirits out there and there are bad spirits out there. So don't just empty yourself. Ask Christ to fill you and to drive out from you and to drive out from me anything that keeps him from possessing us totally. We don't want demonic possession. We want divine possession. We want to be possessed by God. We want to totally give ourselves to God and accept his salvation. And that means rejecting sin. We need to reject sin. So what's the lesson of the withered fig tree? In the morning, they pass by and they got, you know, the apostles, Jesus has driven everybody out of the temple. And and, in the evening again, they go out of the city to Bethany, back to the house of obedience. This is what we're called to. And they spend the, e- the night in the house of obedience. 
And then they come back into the temple. And as they pass the fig tree, it's withered. It's all withered away. And Jesus says to them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you receive it and you will. But remember, in the letter of James, James tells us, you say, many of you pray for things, but you don't get what you pray for. Why? Because you ask in view of squandering it on yourself. So we're asking for things, but what we really want is we want our own self-aggrandizement. We're not asking for God's glory. We're not asking that his name be hallowed in us, that his kingdom come, his will be done. But faith, the apostles need to have faith in Jesus. So Jesus works these signs before his passion so that when they see him surrender himself to suffering and death, they won't be totally, totally crushed. They won't despair. They'll hang in there until the resurrection occurs. And they do, except for Judas who despaired. Because Judas, what? He was always looking to his own gain. He's looking to what these money changers are looking to, you know, to, to use religion to, for material benefit. So we need to examine ourselves. Are we using our religion for material benefit? Because that's not its purpose. The purpose of our religion is the worship of God. And I hear that music, and we're coming up against another break, and this hour is almost over, and it's gone so fast, and we haven't even gotten to the whole gospel yet. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on Bible with Barbara. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you again for joining us on this Friday, May 28th, for Bible with the Barbers. And I, um, there's so much here. There's so much here. So many references to the Old Testament. So much going on. And, and before we get into the lesson of the withered fig tree, I'm I, backtracking a little bit. What was the reaction of the leaders of the people when Jesus cleanses the temple? What is their reaction? The chief priests and the scribes heard it and sought to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the multitude was astonished at his teaching. So instead of accepting the truth, instead of admitting they had sinned against God, that they had allowed the outer court of the temple to become a place of commerce instead of a place of worship, instead of repenting of their sins, they're going to destroy the one who's pointing out the sin, Jesus. And isn't that the way it goes? When somebody admonishes us, and we are supposed to admonish the sinner with charity, but when somebody admonishes us right away, don't we get defensive and our pride gets up and it's like, well, whatever, you know, you're like the little kids, you know, mama caught Johnny taking a cookie, but Mary, Mary had taken a cookie before and said, but, but Mary took one first, you know, so if we could just stop and own up to our own sinfulness and repent of our sins, it would be much easier for God to forgive us <laughs> and we could get on. But again, the, the, the leaders of the people do not want to accept the gospel that Jesus is preaching. They don't want to accept what, because he's not, he's not rebelling against Rome. He's not telling them that, that he's going to free them from Roman domination. He's, he's bringing the kingdom of God, that God loves you. And he, God wants all people to be saved, not just the Jews. He wants the Gentiles too. 
And so now we have the lesson of the fig tree, right? So in the morning they pass and the fig tree is withered. And Jesus has, he's trying to prepare his, his apostles to have faith in him in his, because he's going, this is, remember, this is Holy Week. The context in which this occurs in, in the three gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the threefold, in the three aspects of the gospel. See, there's only one gospel. I have to remind myself of this. There's only one gospel. There's fourfold aspects. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in their, in their accounts, in their aspects of the gospel, they have this incident occur in Holy Week, which is when it occurred at the end of Jesus' life during that last week where it, he's showing the time is coming to an end now. Not only for me here on this earth, but the time is coming to an end for, for the Old Testament. The Old Testament is going to, not that it's being done away with or obliterated, but it's fulfillment. The time of fulfillment has come. So it will be fully fulfilled. And that fulfillment is in the church. So Christians aren't repudiated Jews. Christians are completed Jews. They're Gentiles, many, most of us, brought in some, some Jewish converts. And please God, all Jews will come to embrace the full truth. The, they'll come to embrace Jesus Christ as their Messiah because he is. That, that the fullness of the truth is in the Catholic Church. It's what Jesus brought us. It's the fullness of everything that God intended. And so Jesus is telling his apostles, if you only had faith, if you would only believe, you could say to this mountain, be, be uprooted and cast into the sea. And apparently there was, um, there was a, a saint, a bishop, who actually, he needed space in his city. There was a big hill there, and he needed space in his city, and it needed to be moved. And so he, he, he told it to move, and it moved. The fathers of the church tell about it, if I can find it real quick. But anyway, maybe I can't find it right now. But, oh, yes, it says... The, the Gentiles who have, um, excuse me, the Gentiles, and this is St. Bede, St. Bede is writing, the Gentiles who have attacked the church are in the habit of objecting to us that we have never had full faith in God, for we have never been able to change mountains. It could, however, be done if necessity called for it, as once we read that it was done by the prayers of the blessed Father Gregory Neo Caesarea, Bishop of Pontus, by which a mountain left as much space of ground for the inhabitants of the city as they wanted. So you know, what Bede is saying is, well, the Gentiles are saying, well, look, Jesus told you that if you had faith, you could move mountains. Well, the mountains that Jesus is talking about isn't always the mountains of physical mountains. We could if it were necessary. You know, saints have walked on water. <laughs> saints it, Read the lives of the saints, not about them. Read what they wrote. But there's also the mountain of sin within us that Christ will remove if we ask him. We can give up our sins. And Jesus acts in and through us. And, and in the Acts of the Apostles, one of the fathers says, in the Acts of the Apostles, this, um, the pseudo, it's called pseudo-Jerome, he says that the mountain is Christ. And what happened was when the Jews reject Jesus Christ in Acts 13.46, then that mountain who is Christ is now given to the Gentiles, is thrown into the sea of all those people who weren't Jewish to say, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the, the symbol of the mountain <clears throat> has other meanings also. And so, you know, if you haven't moved any mountains lately, um, don't, don't go around trying to move mountains necessarily. Try and build up our faith in God. 
and to believe that, yes, he hears our prayers. And, you know, we don't see things the way God sees them. And we don't understand what God is about. He desires our salvation. He desires that we give up sin and live in his grace. And, you know, the, the end of this passage, it says, if you believe it, you'll receive it. And he says, if you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also in heaven will forgive you your trespasses. And again, this is connected to the Our Father. Very dangerous prayer, isn't it? We pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. The Lord Jesus Christ on the cross did something that had never been done in the history of humankind. Here he is dying in agony, and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. All those who are causing my death, forgive them. All those who are causing my death directly and indirectly. Why? Because every sin in this world has contributed to the passion of Christ. We are all guilty of having caused Jesus suffering in his passion. But he says, Father, forgive them. And this is the, this is the radical truth of Christianity, that we as Christians are called to forgive our enemies, even if, even if it doesn't change their heart. Not everybody, Jesus was more than willing to forgive Judas, but he wouldn't ask forgiveness. So Jesus asked his father to forgive. So all of those who will come to him and ask for forgiveness will receive it. And we, when we bring our gift to the altar, if we remember that our brother has anything against us, we're supposed to go and be reconciled with our brother. Now, sometimes that's not possible. We've tried and our brother won't listen. So we pray and we ask God if we can get two or three witnesses and Ask somebody to talk to them, to help them to understand. I just want peace because before God, I want us to be one in Christ. Jesus prayed for unity for his church, but that unity cannot come when we're living in sin. You know, it's not 50% of Christians believe in the real presence of Christ or 50% of Christians don't believe in it or or 43% of Christians believe. Catholic Christians believe that that abortion is wrong. No, 100% believe that it's wrong. Now, maybe there's a lot of ignorant people out there who don't know their faith, but we can learn our faith. We can study it. That's why we want to study the scriptures. It's not an easy gospel. Jesus didn't come to preach an easy gospel. Hard is the road and narrow that leads to life. Are we walking the arduous path of giving up sin, of disciplining ourselves, our own ceasing the inner dialogue, silencing the inner dialogue and saying, no, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to rail against God and against his law. I'm going to submit myself to God's holy will, and I'm going to conform my life to his commands. Are we going to be open to life? Are we willing to accept children willingly and lovingly as God sends them? Or are we going to dictate to God how and when we're going to have children? We've lost so much of the supernatural aspect of the gospel. We weren't made for a lasting paradise in this passing world. No, we weren't made for lasting happiness in this passing world. We were made for true happiness. True happiness only comes when we're in union with God. And we can know that happiness right here on this earth. we, We see it through a veil, yes, but we experience that joy of the Lord when we do his will. 
And even in suffering, how many people have come to experience joy in suffering when they unite their sufferings to Jesus Christ and him crucified? How do we offer our sufferings? Jesus, you suffered, and I want to unite my sufferings to you. If I'm suffering for my own sins, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins, and help me to offer this suffering in repentance. If it's your will that you free me from this suffering, I accept that. But if you want me to bear this suffering, help me to accept that. You know, it's like, Lord, Father, glorify your name in me. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. That's what it's about. So we want this biblical worldview, and we want to listen to the Gospels and know that, you know, this isn't, Jesus didn't preach an easy gospel, and he wasn't always kind in his words. You know, he, he, when, when people were hypocrites, he called them hypocrites. When people were whitewashed sepulchers, you know, pretty tombs that were full of dead man's bones, he called them that. He called them brood of vipers. We need to give up our sins It's when we're hypocrites and refuse to give up our sins. God has to resist us. It's when we're proud that God has to resist us. But if we'll humble ourselves before the Lord and beg for his mercy and his forgiveness, God can heal our land. He can free us from the sins that we have enmeshed ourselves in, the web of secular living, the web of the lie that we're living for for a happiness in this world. Joy in union with Christ, yes, but not worldly happiness. We're looking for a life of union with God to serve God. God is so good. Do we understand? Do we recognize and realize God is so good? And I encourage you, if you have the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible, go ahead and look up today's gospel in there and look at the Old Testament references. See how our Lord is showing that he is the fulfillment of the prophecy. All of this is in fulfillment of all the prophecies that God has given. Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the one that God sent. The Father sends his Son. We didn't know in the Old Testament that God was the trinity of persons. There were hints of it, but we didn't know it until the Son comes to reveal that God is Father. And the Father and the Son send their spirit. God is not a solitude unto himself. He is a community of love and life, and he wants us to experience the joy of life in union with him. Thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio, for your support of Virgin Most Powerful Radio, financial, spiritual, the sufferings that you offer for us, the prayers that you offer for us. May God richly bless you and reward you. I hope you tell your friends about this and tell everybody you know, ask them to tune in, listen, share this with everyone. If you're on Rumble, You hit the, I can't remember what it is. There's something on Rumble that you hit to share this and and to tell people you like it. It's not the same as it was on on Facebook. Or on, uh, not Facebook. Anyway, join us again next week.